Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We made it to chapter 8. Can you believe it? I just want to go back and highlight some things that we've said in the past about this book of Romans because we are at a, at a really a, a, a crossroad, a watershed, a chapter in Scripture. I shared with you before that Tommy Nelson said, in a way, the book of Romans is the most important of all biblical books because it sets forth clearly, most clearly, the essence of the biblical message that how a holy God can get a sinful man into heaven and not compromise who he is. He says in this book we look at as, as Christians, we look at what we believe and how we're to live. He said this book cannot be studied without revival and reformation. That's what we've been praying for. I love what Philip Keller said about the, the book of Romans. He said the letter to the Romans is a book that repeatedly changes the world by changing people. Reading and reflecting on this letter or this book of Romans today, he said we should be prepared to have our hearts shaped and our lives changed by God's gift of righteousness. That's what we desire every time we come to the book of Romans. Remember we said chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 are kind of the key verses where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. And then he goes on to say, the righteous will live by faith. In chapter 1, he said the Gentile world is guilty. In chapter 2, the Jewish world is guilty. They're without excuse And he talked about them placing their confidence in their religion and how futile that was. In Romans chapter 3, he said no one is righteous and we challenged ourselves not to take God's grace for granted. In chapter 4, that that issue of justification or being made right with God was illustrated in the life of Abraham. Then in chapter 5, we looked at some of the benefits of justification. Remember that? Peace with God, access to God, hope, confidence, and the the ability, the, the responsibility to rejoice in suffering. In chapter 6, he introduced that new life in Christ, and we said our responsibility as believers is now with this new life to yield to a new master. In chapter 7, we looked at the believer in the law and saw that the law cannot save. So today, we begin this this, uh, section on freedom. Freedom, first of all, from judgment. No condemnation. Some have said of chapter 8 that it has been called the inner sanctuary of the cathedral of the Christian faith. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Someone said it's the crowning aspect of the life of a believer. I love what a theologian back in the 1600s said. He said, if if Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans was its precious stone, then chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. So that gets your expectations ready, right? What is Paul going to say to us in chapter 8? Let's look at this passage together. We'll just look at four verses today. Aren't you glad? We're not going to do the whole chapter like I did last week. I decided I can't do that again. Therefore, because of everything Paul has been saying, everything I just, I just shared with you about the foundation that he's laid, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the flesh, like ours, under sin's domain, and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, let's look today at three freedoms. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's look at these three. First of all, the first freedom. We are free from an unyielding claim on our lives. We are set free from an unyielding claim. Verse 1, as he sets the the, the theme of this, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 2, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are free from that claim that the law had over us. First of all, the law no longer has jurisdiction over us. No longer has jurisdiction. In chapter 7, he said, you are dead to the law. In chapter 8 here, he says, you are set free from the law. Remember we said the law, the Old Testament, uh, Ten Commandments and the law that resulted from that was, as he says in Galatians, was to be our schoolmaster or our tutor to lead us to Christ. That was the role of the law. Without going over the last couple of weeks sermons, remember we said that, okay? The law was there to show us that we cannot be good enough to get into heaven on our own. It no longer has jurisdiction over us. Secondly, we've moved into a whole new sphere of life in Christ. And I use that phrase because as you look at the the original language where he says, you've been set free from the law of sin and death. But in verse 1 he says, you are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ, our our place of no condemnation is in Christ. Don't don't miss the, 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 the impact of that one little word, in. In Christ. Our, our sphere of existence now, and remember he's writing to believers, those of us who know Christ as personal Savior, and those of us who received my faith, you are now in a new sphere. You are in Christ. That's where you belong. That's where you live. Uh, we said a new identity. I'll, I'll say here a new neighborhood. When I was a kid, we made a move from one part of town to the other. By the way, I talked to somebody who went through my hometown this week, and they said that's all they want to do is just go through my hometown. Um, and it has changed a bunch since I lived there in El Paso where I grew up. But I can remember making one move as a kid from my neighborhood to a new neighborhood. And I, I had to find new friends. I had to find a, a new place to hang out, a, a new way of doing things because it was totally different from where I was and different, different school and all that stuff changed because I, I was in a new neighborhood now. Paul says as a, as a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. You are in a new sphere. You are in a new place so here's, here's implicate what's implied by that letter C. We've left the place, and I've got it in quotes, we left the, the place where sin rules. We've left the place where sin rules. He says we're set free from the law, and it does mean set free from the, the demands of the Old Testament law, but he also says you're set free from the law of sin and death, and that word law can also refer to a, to a power or a force. So here's what Paul is saying here also, I believe. You've been set free from the power of sin and death. You've left that place where sin is in charge and in control of your life. Remember we said before Christ, we can't say no to sin. We try. We might turn over a new leaf. We might do better for a while, but ultimately sin's going to be our master. But in Christ, we've left that place where sin rules, and we've moved into a new place where God rules that new sphere of being in Christ. I just want you to think of that, that as actually making a move. Eugene Peterson says this of this passage. His translation is, we are no longer living under a continuous low-lying black cloud. I like that. 
in Christ to be set free from the power of sin and death is to no longer walk around with that low-lying black cloud over your life. Sin, death, judgment, condemnation. In Christ, poof, it's gone. Isn't that good news? We've moved to a new place where, now, remember this is the, the response, where with privilege comes responsibility, Right? Not only have I, do I have this incredible privilege of being set free from the bondage and the power of sin, I have a new obligation now, a new responsibility now to yield to my new master. Remember we said that a couple of weeks ago. The place where God rules. We were visiting New York a few years back and went to Ellis Island. Well, it was a neat place. Just to, I love history and love going through old buildings like that. And that was the place where immigrants came into, into to America, and they all were funneled through for a long time through that one building. And they were, they were funneled through this and that place, and, and, and they finally discovered where people would go and gave some of them new names. And for them to, to, to be new free people in this new nation, that, that plaque there at the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses journey to breathe free. Your wretched refuge of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift up my lamp beside the golden door. That message was, here's freedom when you come to this nation. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans 8. In Christ, you are now free. You're in a new place. You've come through the Ellis Island of Christianity. You've been given a new name. So it can be pronounced. <laughs> You've been given a new name. You are now a Christ follower. Christian. Incredible. That new place where God rules. So we've been set free from this claim of the law. We're, we're in a new dimension, a new place, a new, a new master, a new identity. Number two, the second freedom. We are free from an unforgiving condemnation. Free from an unforgiving condemnation. Again, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 3. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his son in the likeness, in in like ours, another translation says in our likeness, under sin's domain, and as a sin offering. So Christ has set us free from unforgiving condemnation because he paid the price. First of all, don't miss that. We sang about the cross a minute ago. Here it is. Christ already suffered condemnation of sin on the cross. Don't miss this. This is important for for us living the Christian life. Christ paid the consequences, the penalty. He took our condemnation at the cross. Look at verse 3. He condemned sin. The death of Christ Defeat sin legally, if you want to think about it that way, by paying the debt. Have you ever had a big debt that was owed and you're trying to figure out how in the world am I going to pay this debt off? The Bible says we have a sin debt. And the law shows us that that sin debt is so great there's no way we can make it right with God. But Christ on the cross bore the condemnation of that sin debt and he paid it off. Go to your mailbox and instead of opening a bill... From whoever, who's the bill you dread the most? Think about that one, okay? And you open up that bill and it says, somebody's paid this bill for you. Debt canceled. And you wouldn't say, great. You'd say, hallelujah. You'd jump up and down, you'd scream, you'd find somebody, say, remember that bill that's been hanging over our heads for how many years? Our student loans? How many of us? Yeah, that'd be hallelujah time, right? 
that car payment, that mortgage, that medical bill that you didn't plan for, hallelujah, it's been paid. Folks, there's a greater sin debt, a greater debt called sin that's been paid for, and we ought to be saying, thank you, Lord. Christ already paid. He suffered the consequences, the condemnation on the cross. Letter B, he bore our sins on the cross. Look at the last part of verse 3. He bore our sins on the cross. He offered himself as a sin offering. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. The Old Testament uh, states that, and the, the author of Hebrews follows up with that. There has to be a perfect sacrifice to atone to pay for sin. Eugene Peterson translates verse 3 there. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He went to bear the price, the penalty for our sin. One commentary said the ability of the law required personal, the, the inability of the law to save required personal action by God. I like that. This standard of holiness that God set up for us, and you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see this standard of holiness that just blows your mind. You say, nobody can live up to that. Right. God said, no one can live up to that. So I will send my one and only son, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who will live up to that. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could bear our sins on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Listen to this verse. This, if, you just, if you meditate on this verse, contemplate it, it'll just boggle your mind. Verse 21 in 2 Corinthians 5. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We sing a song, one of the phrases in the song is my righteousness. And, and when we sing it, we need to be mindful of the fact that he gave us that righteousness. That we could, it could become the righteousness of Christ living in us. But look at that. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us on our behalf. That word for, on our behalf. In our place. Instead of us. He bore our sin. Powerful truth. Years ago, I read about a, a, a garbage issue in, in Philadelphia, and they were having trouble. I don't know if it was a strike or what it was. Back in the 1980s, they, they had like 15,000 tons of garbage that, that the city just put on a barge and sent it away. And that barge was supposed to go somewhere. It ended up in New Jersey and then somewhere else. And so I was curious. It was called the Pelicano was the ship that it ended up on. So I was curious. I tried to do some research. And over the years, for like at least 14 or 15 years, the ship changed names several times. Because nobody wanted it. I wrote down this list. It went to the Caribbean, several islands in the Caribbean with all this garbage. Went to Europe, Asia, Africa. And it really, it's not clear what happened to that garbage at this point as you try to follow up on the story. But here's the deal. The, the ship shows up with garbage at your house. What are you going to say? No way. Send it somewhere else. The folks in Philadelphia said, we're glad we're done with it. But nobody wanted to deal with it. I don't know what finally happened. I think it was incinerated and ended up on a, on a barge anyway. That's the way sin is, folks. Nobody wants to deal with it. I can't. Think about a 15,000-ton truck pulling up to your front yard and saying, I'm going to dump all this garbage here. Be more than one truck, right? Say, no way. I don't want that. Somebody else deal with it. That's what God did. He dealt with it. He bore our sins on the cross. Incredible theological truth. Number, letter C, the third thing here about being free from condemnation. 
And, and I'm just making this note, okay? This isn't in the text, but I want to remind us of this. We suffer the consequences of our sin, but not the condemnation. Don't miss this. We suffer the consequences of our sin, but not the condemnation. Our sin, the penalty of our sin has been forgiven. It's been judged at the cross. And if I sin, it's forgiven. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's still going to be consequences to it. I can't go rob a bank and say God forgave me because I'm a believer and not expect the, the authorities to do something about that for me to have to suffer the consequences of that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of a generation back, said this, the difference between an unbeliever sinning and a believer sinning is like this. I love this. It's the difference in a man breaking the law and a man doing something that hurt his wife emotionally, hurt her feelings. He said one person is legally breaking a law and it's a legal issue. Unbeliever breaking God's law. The other is thought of like in relationship where a husband doesn't do the right thing for his wife and hurts her, lies to her, something like that. The relationship is messed up. And don't, don't miss this truth. You, you, can't be, you can't be persecuted and tried, if you're a follower of Christ, for what Christ has already been persecuted and tried for. Does that make sense? He bore our sins on the cross. Just several phrases in Hebrews just to kind of show there's no condemnation In chapter 7, he says that Jesus died once for all. In chapter 9, it says that he went into the holy place once for all. In chapter 9, it says he offered himself to bear the sins of many once for all. The the sacrifice of Christ took place at the cross once for all. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you trusted him as your Savior, if you repented of your sin and invited him to take up residence in your life and be your Lord and Master, if you repented, then he has dealt with your sin it's done. He doesn't have to re-crucify Christ to cover your sins for tomorrow. No condemnation means past, present, and future. No longer held accountable because of what Christ did. You know, the law of double jeopardy, you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Christ was tried for your crime of sin once. It's dealt with. Now, here's the, here's the analogy that helps me. I, I have a son And when my son would disobey me, even blatant rebellion, and I told him not to and he did it anyway, he sinned against me, he did wrong against me, and it broke the relationship. Something wasn't right. He knew it, I knew it. He could avoid me, he wouldn't look me in the eye. You know that is? You see that person, you see mom, dad, whatever, and you don't don't want to deal with it. Now, he didn't cease to be my son, that makes sense? But the relationship was broken. When I, as a follower of Christ, sin, I don't cease to be a follower of Christ. I don't have to get saved again. The writer of Hebrews chapter 6 says if that was, if that was the case, then we'd have to re-crucify Christ again. I don't have to get saved again. I just need to restore the relationship. Confession is to restore the relationship. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I have been set free from that. Number three, we're free from an unwanted control, an unyielding claim, an unforgiving condemnation, and we're free from an unwanted control. Look at verse four. In order 
that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. We are free from the control of the law and sin. I read about the Romanian church recently. I'm not sure what decade this was in. It goes back a few. But there was a law in Romania that said you cannot give more than 2.5% of your income to any charitable organization. And the church in Romania, the churches in Romania, the believers in Romania said, we've got to find a loophole. We can't be under this government control that says we're not allowed to give more than 2.5% of our income to the Lord through our church. They said, we want out from under that control. And so they were looking for ways to give more. I thought, isn't that interesting? Some of you would jump up and down if God's word said, just give 2.5%. I can do that. They were looking for ways. By the way, a poor, persecuted church was looking for ways to give 10%. They didn't want the Romanian government to control what they gave. The Bible says that in Christ we are free from the control of sin and death. First of all, three things here. The law only had the power to reveal sin, not to make us holy. We looked at that last week. The law only had the power to reveal sin, not to make us holy. Look at verse 4. The law's requirement for, in order that, for that to be accomplished, and, and the implication here, it could not be accomplished. Peterson translates it this way. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing that it needed. The law only shows us that we are in need. When I was a kid, I was playing with a friend, and uh, we were getting ready to go. We had about an hour, and the, our, we told our parents we were going to go play next door. So we got in this vacant lot that was full of trash and all kinds of stuff. We're having a blast. Sent a little, couple of little boys in a vacant lot full of tin cans and, and metal and wood. We were having a blast, and I cut my hand. It's this one right here. I still have the scar. I cut my hand on a tin can, a rusty old tin can, and I, I thought, oh, boy. I, I didn't want to show it to my mom. I went to my mom and said, I've... Before I could get the words out of my mouth, she knew I'd cut myself because blood's running down my arm. I've cut myself, and you help me. And so she looks at it and cleans it up and said that she said, I think we're going to need to go to the doctor. I said, no, I want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor because he's going to, and she said, it'll be all right. He's going to clean it up. It'll be good, but, but that's bad. It's bad enough that a doctor needs to see this. So we went to the doctor, and sure enough, he cleaned it and poured all that stuff in it and stitched it and stitched it and stitched it and stitched it. And wrapped my, my whole hand was wrapped up. That was embarrassing being a little kid. We've got Easter pictures, and I got my hand in this big bandage. <laughs> See, my mom knew that that wasn't something she could fix. She said, we got to go to the doctor. Here's what the law says. The law says, let me tell you something. You've been cut, and it's so deep, you can't patch it yourself. Let's go to the real doctor. Go to the real doctor. Dr. Jesus, that preach, wouldn't it, huh? Secondly, believers live a righteous life by the power of the Spirit, not the law. That's what else Paul is saying here. We walk, verse 4, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Not in our own effort. Listen to this, believers, Christ followers. You can't live the Christian life generating it yourself. It has to be the Spirit of God living in you and through you. Spirit of the living God, right? Didn't we sing that this morning? Have your way with us. Live through us. Believers live a righteous life by the power of the Spirit, not the law. One, one scholar said this. I like it. He said, the reason that Christ did all this, that he came, that he died, that he rose again, is so that we could live a holy life. Well, that's strong. I thought the reason Christ came and died so that I could go to heaven. Well, that's part of it. 
But there's a lot in Scripture. We look at this in Romans, especially in chapter 12, that, that our responsibility now is so that we can live a holy life. Why did, when he saved you, why in the world did he leave you here? If, if your salvation is only about you and you go into heaven, why in the world did he leave you here? Ask that question. Because he wants you to live a holy life so that you can be a light to others so that they can come to know Christ. power of the Spirit. He wants to transform us. The Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo painted that ceiling and all those beautiful frescoes and in, in the 1500s it was finished and, and over the like 400 years of candles burning in there, the soot and everything got up in the ceiling and, 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 and it needed to be restored and back in the 1980s I think the, they went in and like 15 years restoring those, those paintings and suddenly all these vibrant colors were there restored to its full beauty. And for years, people that thought Michelangelo, some of the critics had said he used monochromatic colors, his paintings were too dull. Sure they were, because all the years of soot had covered them up. When the, the restoration people clear all that soot away, there's this incredible beauty. Transform those paintings. How? Just taking it back to the original. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to take you. By the way, the word spirit is used 21 times in this, in this, this section more than any other chapter in the New Testament. He wants to transform your life so that you can live a life that pleases him. And that's letter C, the same thing, saying it another way, where he says, according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in holiness. Philippians 2, 13, it is God who is working in you, enabling you to desire and work for his good purpose. Paul also said in Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It is the Spirit of God working in your life, Christian. It is not you being a good person. It is you saying, I need a Savior, and I need to be saved from my sin, and I need to be set free from the bondage of sin and death in Christ, and I need to walk in holiness and obedience. Set free from condemnation, that claim over us. free from an unwanted control, now we yield to him. I've shared this before, but I just couldn't help but go back to this story. A lady from Teague, Texas named Shirley Digert decided on her 54th birthday that she was going to go skydiving. Just quick decision, I think I'm going to do that. So she went up in the airplane, and those first-time skydivers, it's a tandem thing. So you've got the guy, the professional, who does this for a living, and he's got a harness, and he straps his harness around you, so you're in the front, and he's in the back, and he's going to do all the stuff with the parachutes and all the ropes and all that needs to do. So they jump out of the airplane, and he pulls the first chute, and the first chute deploys, and it gets kind of messed up and tangled, not, not the way it's supposed to, so he goes to his reserve chute, and the primary chute had tangled up some of the cords to the reserve chute, so it didn't deploy completely. So they're spinning like this. And realizing they're going to hit the ground, and Shirley says, she thought for a moment, she said, I guess this is how I'm going to die. And she just prayed, oh, God, help. And her instructor's name was Dave Hartsock, and the, the, the uh, guy that she's tied in tandem with, and they're, they're plummeting about 40 miles an hour to earth, and he says to her, lift up your feet. And she thought that was a weird request, because what's that going to help? So she lifts up her feet, and he pulls back, and positions himself where she's up there and he's underneath her. And they hit the ground at 40 miles an hour. And she escaped with almost no injury. And he's paralyzed from that. And he said, that was my responsibility. I was there to take care of her. 
And she said, he literally took the blow for me. That's what Christ did. He said, this isn't working. You doing this your way. Will you trust me? Pick up your feet. Trust me. He took the blow for us. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope you understand what he did for you. Your response to the fact that he died for you and took the price of your sin, the penalty for your sin, that he became sin on the cross for you, your response to that it should be, Oh God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. Take my life. If you're a Christ follower today, if you're a believer, you ought to be motivated by the reality of the cross and the availability of the Spirit of God living through you. Let's pray together.